0: Okay, let's look at our scripture, which is 1 Thessalonians 2:13 through 20. 1 Thessalonians 2:13 through 20. This is Paul speaking to the church at Thessalonica. And we also thank God constantly for this that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. I don't know about you, but do you ever wish for maybe just one minute of your day that you would give the Lord his due, that you would live in complete obedience and conformity to his will and his ways, that you would love the Lord your God with all, and I mean all, your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that you would love your neighbor as yourself, I found myself thinking about this as I looked back upon my day and realized that for so long, for so much of my day, I don't think about the Lord at all. He is not foremost in my heart, foremost in my life. And I found there was a desire of just just one minute, Lord, just one minute, let me give everything to you. The reality and the truth is that there's more joy in full consecration to the Lord than if I owned everything and had every other wish than that. It would be in that one minute that I would truly be myself, who I was made to be. But it's so hard to, for even one minute, give everything to the Lord, to be wholly consecrated to Him. We are broken beings. And yet God is shifting and changing and conforming us more into His likeness through the Holy Spirit. See, the question we so often have when we feel that panging and longness in our heart is, how? How, God, are you going to change me? How can I change? What can I do to become more and more of that person? Well, this passage gives us a foundation of where to start and a path of how to continue in giving ourselves fully to the Lord. And it is in receiving the word for what it is the word of God and not man. See, God's word is the chisel that God's spirit is using to shape our hearts into conformity to Jesus Christ. God has his tools, his spirit, and his word. But there is a part that we must play to present our hearts, to receive the word as for what it is, the word of God and not man. And receiving means to obey it. If you are one of these people like me who are tired of a half-hearted devotion, a half-hearted obedience, take encouragement and be challenged by this passage, because God gives us a path and a tool to shape our hearts more into conformity with Jesus Christ. We're going to cover three points in this gospel, uh, excuse me, in this sermon. The first is, we're going to receive, what does it mean to receive the Word as the Word of God and not of men? my first point that we're going to cover secondly we're going to discover that receiving the word as the word of God results in transformation finally the third point we're going to see that receiving the word results in love well let's begin with point number one we must receive the word as the word of God Verse 13 says, Paul is speaking, and we also thank God constantly for this that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as for what it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. See, when Paul and Silas, uh, Silvanus, and Timothy walked into uh, Thessalonica and preached the gospel, there were these group of people that heard and recognized who these men were, that they were the apostles sent by Jesus. The way Jesus spread the gospel is by taking 12 people, pouring his life into them, teaching his words, and sending them out. In fact, the word apostle means sent one. And the Greek verb is to send, apostello. Jesus did this with the apostles. They were in training during his three years. I don't know if you remember in Mark 6, when Jesus sends the apostles out and he says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And whenever you enter, a uh, excuse me, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust of your feet when you leave that home or town. In other words, you're bringing them my words. And if they will not receive your, these words, it's tantamount to rejecting me. And go ahead and through the dust of, off your feet, and head on out because they have rejected me because they have rejected the word. Jesus continues when he has uh, died and he's been resurrected and he gives the great commission to these 12 disciples. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, in the face of it, this is a real crummy idea, to take these 12 fallible people and to send them out as if they would have the power to change the world. But the reality is they did, because they had the word of God that Jesus Christ gave to them to give to the world. See, it's not the word of man, which it certainly has the power to sway people and move people by great oratory or logic and reasoning. But God's word is something different. The scriptures tell us that God's word is living and active. God's word is powerful and creative. Remember that God spoke and by his word he created the heavens and the earth. The word has the power to create. In fact, it's created everything that we see around us. God's word has uh, power. In Isaiah, excuse me, Jeremiah 23, God says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces. God's word has purpose and success. In Isaiah 55, God says, As the rain and the snow come down from the heavens and do not return without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seeds for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to be empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word is powerful, God's word is successful. And God's word brings life it was Jesus that said I tell you the truth in John 5 a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live see what makes these Thessalonians different from the others is that they were willing to listen and they recognized and received the words that were spoken by the apostles sent by Jesus, not as the word of man, but as the word of God. What does it mean to receive the word as a word of man? It's taking God's word and turning it into words just like a man would speak. And how do we treat the words that people tell us? We treat them as advice something that we could do or couldn't do, it might work, it might not work, it might work for some but not work for me, we stand in judgment of it rather than it standing in judgment of us. We take it as advice, the word of man. We can see the word of man as inspirational if someone moves us in our heart, but ultimately it fades because it is the word of man given by human wisdom but it's not omnipotent. It's not all powerful. It's flawed because the one who is giving it is just like us, a man or a woman. But the word of God is totally different. It's Jesus who spoke God's word to us. Jesus who was sent from heaven itself to give us a new word, the true word. Jesus said the one who comes from above is above all. And the one who is from earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one who God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the spirit without limit. How do we experience the life-giving spirit of God moving in our hearts? It's through hearing and receiving and acting on God's word. So what is this word? What's contained in this word? The word of God tells us who God is. How would we know what God was like if he didn't speak? The word of God tells us who we are. The word of man is constantly giving us lies about ourselves, but God's word tells the truth about us. One, that we are made in God's image and that we have a high and exalted position in creation, but also that we're sinful creatures, twisted by our own fallen desires. It helps us to accurately see, like looking in a mirror. God's word tells us who He is and who we are, it tells us how to be saved the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came to reclaim. For there is no other name given under heaven and there is no other words given under heaven by which we must be saved. And finally, it tells us as Christians, if you are a Christian, how to live out this life in Christ, giving different examples. And, and that's what all of these books are in the New Testament, these various epistles like the one we're reading is how to navigate through life. And so these Thessalonians received it for what it is. Just like the 12 did. Remember when Jesus was preaching his word and he told them on the, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. He, of course, was not speaking of cannibalism. He was speaking of wholehearted trust and dependence on Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And many left, it said, And Jesus turned to the twelve and he said, You do not want to go away as well, do you? And Simon Peter, one of the apostles, answered him, saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So to receive the word of God is to receive in the spirit of discipleship that I am to follow you. It's to receive it in the spirit of trust and dependence leaving and trusting the words of man, and rather depending on the words of God. And notice what happens when you do this, when you receive the word as the word of God. It says, which is at work in you believers. This word is doing a work deep inside of us, even though we don't understand it. It's changing us from the inside out. Jesus said the spirit gives life, the flesh, the, and when he's talking about flesh, the effort, the natural, without God, counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. How powerful is it that God's word is living and active? It's living and active inside of us, doing a work, reforming and transforming it into the person of Christ. Remember Jesus when he told the parable of the soils, that the kingdom of God is like a man who's, who planted seeds and he put some out and before it could even fall, the birds came and some fell on the rocky soil. Some fell on the soil and went down, but it was, it was uh, choked by the weeds and the thorns. But finally there was seed that fell on the good soil. And you all know with the seed in the beginning, it's down deep. You can't see it, but there's work that's going on, and eventually it pushes its way out. He says that that seed, which fell on the good soil, produced a crop 50, 100, 100 times of a fold of what it came. That's what God is doing with those who receive the word as God's word. I don't know if you know that we have uh, two dogs we recently got a second dog. For the f- about 15 years, we had a little cavalier, a cavapoo, if you will, uh, part cavalier, part uh, poodle. And uh, it's, uh, its name, his name is Chancho, which uh, uh, appropriately means little pig. No, he does not look like a pig, but he eats like a pig. Uh, and he's very big for as cavaliers as cavapoos go. Now, I don't know if you know much about the breed of the cavalier uh, King Charles, Uh, But if you ever go and you look at, you know, kind of the pictures of the old kings, whenever they had a lap dog that was on their lap sitting there, it would usually be, you know, with the English kings, a cavalier, King Charles Spaniel, because they are bred for one purpose, to be responsive, obedient, and devoted to their master. All they want to do is to be on the lap of their master and to be with their master, it's very interesting watching uh, little Chancho. In most dogs, dogs will not look at the, uh, at the eyes of their owner, uh, except, you know, you know, when they're in a very, very vulnerable uh, position, because that's a sign of dominance. But Cavalier King Charles are very different. They keep their eyes on the owner all the time, because they want to know what the owner is thinking. Even when Chancho goes for a walk, well, right now Chancho's a, a puppy, but, but Sadie, and when Chancho's older, when Chancho will go for a walk, Chancho will, instead of being looking at the road, Chancho will be with eyes looking at uh, his master to see where is he going, what's the path that he's taking, because he wants to be ever closer in the way that he walks. Chancho delights in the voice of his master, Delights in the commands of his master. He treats the words, in this case, Lielin, who really is the master of Chancho, as the word of God. So what's your word? What is it that you're banking everything on? In other words, what's the word of God to you? And we all have one, whether it truly is the word of God or not. It's what you put all your weight on. It's what, when it gives a command, you respond, you obey. It's what your eyes are on, listening to see what it commands, so you can respond to it. It Might be the words, not of God, but of man, but you're treating it as God might be the words of man that says, you are what you have. And so you work and work and work and never take a break. Because you're obeying your master. It might be the words of man that says, you are what others think of you. And so you're constantly trying to curry favor. And prop up your reputation. And you're a slave to everyone. Because the word of man speaks and you jump to attention. It might be the word of man that says you are what you do. And so you are focused, and you know exactly what you have to do, and you never stop. But God has given us the true word. Jesus Christ has come. And the scriptures tell us, like newborn babies, to crave the word so that you may grow up in your salvation. Whatever it is that you crave to hear, that's the word of God to you. But it will never bring change. It will never bring forgiveness or release. It will only bring guilt and shame. See, how you respond to the word of God shows what you believe it to be. You must receive the word as the word of God in order to be saved in order to be changed. This brings me to my second point, that if you do receive the word of God as the word of God, it results in transformation. Notice verse 14, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. It's a very interesting phrase. It doesn't say, For you, brothers, imitated the church of God in Christ Jesus. It says, You became imitators. It's denoting that there's a transformation, that you started to behave like those churches of God in Judea, even without necessarily realizing it, by receiving the word of God as for what it was. Additionally, notice that he's referring to them in the plural, that there's this group of people who together receive the word. And instinctively, in a way that we don't understand, they begin to act like the church, Before them, keep in mind the way that the gospel spread was Jesus who gave it to the 12, who gave it to the people in Jerusalem, and some became believers and churches were formed in Jerusalem, and then the surrounding area around Jerusalem, which is Judea, and then to Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the world. And so these these guys at, at Thessalonica are four stages down the road, but they're acting just like the people who received the word earlier. Now, why is that? The reason is because there is a commonality in Christianity. There is one Holy Spirit working in the lives of believers. And there is one book. Christians are of the one book. And the book tells us who we are and how we are to live. And so it makes perfect sense that they would start to be, behave like the church in Judea just like the church in Judea would start to behave like Jesus and the 12. And how did they live this church in Judea? Well, we know in Acts in Acts 2:42 we see that they devoted themselves notice that were devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. In other words, what were the people what were the apostles saying they were devoted wholeheartedly to it. To the fellowship, to coming together, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What denoted their life was radical obedience to Jesus' words. Because in Judea, they had to choose. Keep in mind the Roman garrisons didn't go anywhere right after Jesus was crucified. Okay, there was still, and and the Jewish uh, law and the Jewish leaders who were against Jesus were against these churches as well. They had to decide. They couldn't afford to have a casual Christianity. It simply wasn't afforded to them. Jesus gave this illustration to show what radical obedience to God's word looks like. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine And puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, if you've ever built a house, you know that the foundation of it is the most important thing because everything will rest on that foundation. Everything above ground will rest on that which is below ground. And so it seems like nothing is ever getting done because the foundation is being built and it must be perfect, it must be square. It must be level because everything else is magnified a hundredfold above it. And so you're in the same way as a house depends on the foundation, your and my life in Christ depends on the foundation of obedience to God's word. What those early churches in Judea are doing, and what Jesus told us to is to obey God's word, to do what it says. To love God with our, all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. All means all. Jesus said in John 14, 21, Whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. It makes perfect sense that if we love someone, we love the things that they love. And we're responsive to the things that they want us to do. They followed the commands to love God and to love others which included sharing Christ, for there really is no greater love, no greater gift than we can give someone else than to tell them about the hope and forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible is all about, telling us how to obey God, how to love him better, how to be closer. And the result of that we see in verse 14 was suffering. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Isn't that interesting? This church in Thessalonica over in Greece, which has, you know, the, the Greeks and everything, is experiencing the exact same suffering as the Jewish people, hundreds of miles away, different religion, different context, and yet they're suffering the same thing. How is that? Well, we understand this, don't we? Because we experience the same thing to a lesser degree. You know, if you're a teacher or a professor or a government worker, you know the drill. You're not supposed to talk about Jesus Christ, right? Because of this separation of church and state, which is so taken out of context, it's an embarrassment. It's been very interesting to watch during this quarantine. It's provided a great excuse in some communities that are extremely hostile to to the church, to shut it down. As if God's church could be shut down by the world. See, we're called to be the exact same people as the Thessalonians, as the church in Judea, as Jesus Christ himself. And the response to obeying God's word, obedience will create these same conditions. If we receive the word as the word of God, we will act the same. I guess the point I'm making is that Jesus is calling you and I too to a life of radical obedience. To examine what is our foundation. To not merely listen to God's word, but to do what it says. I got something in the mail a day or two ago. This is a Fordham power carver. Yes, I consider myself somewhat of a renaissance man. I preach the word, but I also carve stone. You can take something like this, and you can take a piece of stone like this, and you can turn it into this. But you see, in order for that to happen, I need to take this stone, and this stone has to be willing to let this tool do its work. Shaping it, removing materials, buffing it, polishing it. For the longest time you cannot see how this is becoming this. In the same way in the spiritual life, the word of God is the chisel that God is using to shape us from this block of stone into the heart of Christ. The only question is, are we going to submit? Are we going to trust the Lord? Are we going to obey his commands, believe in his promises, as God does a work in our life? The Thessalonians received the word as the word of God. They submitted to the chisel. And so we must also Who are you imitating? Who have you become imitators of? That tells you whose word you have received. For God's word is the chisel that shapes our hearts into the likeness of Christ. My final point, that receiving God's word results in love and community. Notice the heart of Paul. In verse 17, but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. I've talked a little bit about this, that the last place that Paul and these, apostles, these disciples were, they had been beaten and flogged and jailed and all sorts of horrible things. And yet, what moved them to continue on to Thessalonica, to preach the gospel, not even knowing if anyone was going to receive or believe. It was the love of Jesus Christ and obedience to his word. This doesn't make sense sometimes, Lord, but you say go and make disciples, and so we will. We don't really want to love these people, but God gave in them a supernatural heart of love. So much so that when they were, had to go away, notice the words, we were torn away from you. We endeavored to see you again. We were eagerly and with great desire to be face to face with you. For you are our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting. See, Paul loved these Thessalonians because he had the opportunity as a pastor and an evangelist to help guide God's tool to shape them into something special. And in the same way, I love you, and I care for you, and I'm looking forward to having us all together again so I can see you face to face, so I continue to preach God's word. Because my heart is the heart of Jesus for you, that you would ultimately move from this to this. And it's always a pleasure and a joy when I see that happening in the life of the church. As God has given me this heart for you, I know that God has given you this heart for one another and is giving you this heart and will give you this heart if you receive the word for what it is, the word of God and not of man. Well, I really don't have a whole lot more to say aside from this. God is wants us to be us. I want to experience that minute, that hour, that day, when I'm fully devoted to Jesus Christ, when I'm consecrated to him. And I want you to experience that as well. But it begins when we stop taking the words of the world and making them to be the word of God and taking God's word and making it the word of man. Will you today make a decision that God's word is going to be my rule of faith, God's word is going to be my foundation, what I'm going to put all of my weight on, and let the chips fall where they may? For when you do that, you will most surely be on the path to the total consecration that God calls us to, and the joy of being surrendered to another. God's word is the chisel that shapes our hearts into the likeness of Christ. By his grace, let us be obedient to it. And let us see with wonder what we will become. Let's pray. We thank you, God, that you gave us your words. Through Jesus Christ, you came and you showed us who we are, who we will be in you, and you showed us how to live. God, help us, and we know it's a supernatural work, to see you and your word for what it is, not the words of man, but rather the words of God. We pray all of this in Christ's name.